Section 25 of Marion Fay by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Volume 2, Chapter 3 Marion's Views About Marriage. When Lord Hampstead shut the door behind him, Marion went slowly up the stairs to Mrs. Roden, who had returned to her drawing room. When she entered, her friend was standing near the door, with anxiety plainly written on her face, with almost more than anxiety. She took Marion by the hand and, kissing her, led her to the sofa. "'I would have stopped him if I could,' she said. "'Why should you have stopped him?' "'Such things should be considered more.' He had made it too late for considering to be of service. I knew, I almost knew, that he would come. You did? I can tell myself now that I did, though I could not say it even to myself before. There was a smile on her face as she spoke, and though her color was heightened, there was none of that peculiar flush which Mrs. Roden so greatly feared to see nor was there any special excitement in her manner. There was no look either of awe or of triumph. She seemed to take it as a matter of course, quite as much at least as any Lady Amaldina could have done, who might have been justified by her position in expecting that some young noble eldest son would fling himself at her feet. "'And are you ready with your answer?' Marion turned her eyes towards her friend, but made no immediate reply. "'My darling girl, for you are in truth very dear to me, much thought should be given to such an appeal as that before any answer is made.' "'I have thought.' "'And are you ready?' "'I think so. Dear Mrs. Roden, do not look at me like that.' If I do not say more to tell you immediately, it is because I am not perhaps quite sure, not sure at any rate of the reasons I may have to give. I will come to you tomorrow, and then I will tell you. There was room then at any rate for hope. If the girl had not quite resolved to grasp at the high destiny offered to her, it was still her friend's duty to say something that might influence her. Marion, dear, say all that you think, Mrs. Roden. Surely you know that I know that whatever may come from you will come from love. I have no mother, and to whom can I go better than to you to fill a mother's place? Dear Marion, it is thus I feel towards you. What I would say to you, I would say to my own child. There are great differences in the ranks of men. I have felt that. And though I do in my honest belief think that the best and honestest of God's creatures are not always to be found among so-called nobles, yet I think that a certain great respect should be paid to those whom chance has raised to high places. Do I not respect him? I hope so, but perhaps you may not show it best by loving him. As to that, it is a matter in which one can perhaps hardly control oneself. 
if asked for love it will come from you like water from a fountain unless it be so then it cannot come at all that surely is a dangerous doctrine for a young woman young women i think are compassed by many dangers said marion and i know but one way of meeting them what way is that dear i will tell you if i can find how to tell it to-morrow there is one point marion on which i feel myself bound to warn you as i endeavoured also to warn him to him my words seem to have availed nothing but to you i think are more reasonable unequal marriages never make happy either the one side or the other i hope i may do nothing to make him unhappy unhappy for a moment you must make him for a month perhaps or for a year though it were for years what would that be to his whole life for years said marion no not for years would it be more than for days do you think i cannot tell what may be the nature of the young man's heart nor can you but as to that it cannot be your duty to take much thought of his lasting welfare you are bound to think oh yes of that certainly of that above all things i mean as to this world of what may come afterwards to one so little known we here can hardly dare to speak or even to think but a girl when she has been asked to marry a man is bound to think of his welfare in this life i cannot but think of his eternal welfare also said marion unequal marriages are always unhappy said mrs roden repeating her great argument always i fear so could you be happy if his great friends his father and his stepmother and all those high-born lords and ladies who are connected with him could you be happy if they frowned on you what would their frowns be to me if he smiled i should be happy if the world were light and bright to him it would certainly be light and bright to me i thought so once marion i argued with myself once just as you are arguing now nay mrs roden i am hardly arguing it was just so that i spoke to myself saying that the joy which i took in a man's love would certainly be enough for my happiness but oh alas i fell to the ground i will tell you now more of myself than i have told any one for many a year more even than i have told george i will tell you because i know that i can trust your faith yes you can trust me said marion i also married greatly greatly as the world's honors are concerned in mere rank i stood as a girl higher perhaps than you do now but i was lifted out of my own degree and in accepting the name which my husband gave me i assured myself that i would do honor to it at any rate by my conduct i did it no dishonor but my marriage was most unfortunate was he good asked marion he was weak 
Are you sure that Lord Hampstead is strong? He was fickle-hearted. Can you be sure that Lord Hampstead will be constant amidst the charms of others whose manners will be more like his own than yours can be? I think he would be constant, said Marion. Because you are ready to worship him who has condescended to step down from his high pedestal and worship you. Is it not so? It may be that it is so, said Marion. Ah, yes, my child, it may be that it is so. And then think of what may follow. Not only for him, but for you also. Not only for you, but for him also. Broken hearts, crushed ambitions, hopes all dead, personal dislikes, and perhaps hatred. Not hatred, not hatred. I live to be hated, and why not another? Then she was silent, and Marion, rising from her seat, kissed her and went away to her home. She had very much to think of though she had declared that she had almost expected this offer from her lover, still it could not be that the Quaker girl, the daughter of Zachary Fay, Messrs. Pogson and Littlebird's clerk, should not be astounded by having such an offer from such a suitor as Lord Hampstead. But in truth the glory of the thing was not very much to her. It was something, no doubt, it must be something to a girl to find that her own personal charms have sufficed to lure down from his lofty perch the topmost bird of them all. That Marion was open to some such weakness may be acknowledged of her. But of the coronet, of the diamonds, of the lofty title and high seats, of the castle and the parks and well-arranged equipages, of the rich dresses, of the obsequious servants and fawning world that would be gathered around her, it may be said that she thought not at all. She had in her short life seen one man who had pleased her ear and her eye, and had touched her heart, and that one man had instantly declared himself to be all her own. That made her bosom glow with some feeling of triumph. That same evening she abruptly told the whole story to her father. Father, she said, Lord Hampstead was here today. Here, in this house? Not in this house, but I met him at our friends, whom I went to see, as is my custom, almost daily. I am glad he came not here, said the Quaker. Why should you be glad? To this the Quaker made no answer. His purpose was to have come here. It was to see me that he came. To see thee? Father, the young lord has asked me to be his wife. Asked thee to be his wife? Yes, indeed. Have you not often heard that young men may be infatuated? It has chanced that I have been the Cinderella for his eyes. But thou art no princess, child. And therefore am unfit to mate with this prince. I could not answer him at once, father. It was too sudden for me to find the words, and the place was hardly fitting. 
but I have found them now. What words, my child? I will tell him with all respect and deference. Nay, I will tell him with some love, for I do love him, that it will become him to look for his wife elsewhere. Marion, said the Quaker, who was somewhat moved by those things which had altogether failed with the girl herself. Marion, must it be so? Father, it must certainly be so. And yet thou lovest him? Though I were dying for his love, it must be so. Why, my child, why? As far as I saw the young man, he is good and gracious, of great promise, and like to be true-hearted. Good and gracious and true-hearted? Oh, yes. And would you have it that I should bring such a one as that to sorrow, perhaps to disgrace? Why to sorrow? Why to disgrace? Wouldst thou be more likely to disgrace a husband than one of those painted Jezebels who know no worship but that of their faded beauty? Thou hast not answered him, Marion. No, father. He is to come on Friday for my answer. Think of it yet again, my child. Three days are no time for considering a matter of such moment. Bid him leave you for ten days further. I am ready now, said Marion. And yet thou lovest him? That is not true to nature, Marion. I would not bid thee take a man's hand because he is rich and great, if thou couldst not give him thy heart in return. I would not have thee break any law of God or man for the glitter of gold or tinsel of rank. But the good things of this world, if they be come by honestly, are good. And the love of an honest man, if thou lovest him thyself in return, is not of the less worth because he stands high in wealth and in honor. Shall I think nothing of him, father? Yea, verily, it will be thy duty to think of him, almost exclusively of him, when thou shalt be his wife. Then, father, shall I never think of him. Wilt thou pay no heed to my words, so as to crave from him further time for thought? Not for a moment. Father, you must not be angry with your child for this. My own feelings tell me true. My own heart and my own heart alone can dictate to me what I shall say to him. There are reasons. What reasons? There are reasons why my mother's daughter should not marry this man. Then there came a cloud across his brow, and he looked at her as though almost over, almost overcome by his anger. It seemed as though he strove to speak, but he sat for a while in silence. Then, rising from his chair, he left the room, and did not see her again that night. This was on a Tuesday. On the Wednesday he did not speak to her on the subject. The Thursday was Christmas Day and she went to church with Mrs. Roden. Nor did he on that day allude to the matter, but on the evening she made to him a little request. Tomorrow, father, is a holiday, is it not, in the city? So they tell me. I hate such tomfooleries. 
When I was young, a man might be allowed to earn his bread on all lawful days of the week. Now he is expected to spend the wages he cannot earn in drinking and shows. Father, you must leave me here alone after our dinner. He will come for his answer. And you will give it? Certainly, father, certainly. Do not question me further, for it must be as I told you. Then he left her as he had done before, but he did not urge her with any repetition of his request. This was what occurred between Marion and her father, but on the Wednesday she had gone to Mrs. Roden, as she had promised, and there explained her purpose more fully than she had before been able to do. "'I have come, you see,' she said, smiling. "'I might have told you all at once,' for I have changed nothing of my mind since first he spoke to me all so suddenly in the passage downstairs. Are you so sure of yourself? Quite sure, quite sure. Do you think I would hurt him? No, no, you would not, I know, do so willingly. And yet I must hurt him a little. I hope it will hurt him just a little. Mrs. Roden stared at her. Oh, if I could make him understand it all, if I could bid him to be a man, so that it should wound him only for a short time. What wound? Did you think that I could take him, I, the daughter of a city clerk, to go and sit in his halls and shame him before all the world, because he had thought fit to make me his wife? Never! Marion, Marion, because he has made a mistake which has honored me, shall I mistake also so as to dishonor him? Because he has not seen the distance, shall I be blind to it? He would have given himself up for me. Shall I not be able to make a sacrifice? To such a one as I am, to sacrifice myself is all that I can do in the world." Is it such a sacrifice? Could it be that I should not love him? When such a one comes, casting his pearls about, throwing sweet odors through the air, whispering words which are soft-sounding as music in the heavens, whispering them to me, casting them at me, turning on me the laughing glances of his young eyes, how could I help to love him? Do you remember when, for a moment, he knelt almost at my feet, and told me that I was his friend, and spoke to me of his hearth? Do you think that that did not move me? So soon, my child, so soon. In a moment. Is it not so that it is done always? Hearts are harder than that, Marion. Mine, I think, was so soft just then that the half of his sweet things would have ravished it from my bosom. But I feel for myself that there are two parts in me. Though the one can melt away and pass altogether from my control, can gush like water that runs out and cannot be checked, the other has something in it of hard substance, which can stand against blows, even from him. What is that something, Marion? Nay, I cannot name it. I think it be another heart of finer substance. 
or it may be it is woman's pride, which will suffer all things rather than hurt the one it loves. I know myself, no words from him, no desire to see his joy, as he would be joyful if I told him that I could give him all he asks, no longing for all his love could do for me, shall move me one tittle. He shall tell himself to his dying day that the Quaker girl, because she loved him, was true to his interests. My child, my child, said Mrs. Roden, taking Marion in her arms. Do you think that I do not know, that I have forgotten? Was it nothing to me to see my mother die, and her little ones? Do I not know that I am not, as others are, free to wed, not a lord like that, but even one of my own standing? Mrs. Roden, if I can live till my poor father shall have gone before me, so that he may not be left alone when the weakness of age shall have come upon him, then, then I shall be satisfied to follow them. No dream of loving had ever crossed my mind. He has come, and without my mind the dream has been dreamed. I think that my lot will be happier so than if I had passed away without any feeling such as that I have now. Perhaps he will not marry till I am gone. Would that hurt you so sorely? It ought not. It shall not. It will be well that he should marry, and I will not wish to cause him evil. He will have gone away, and I shall hardly know of it. Perhaps they will not tell me. Mrs. Roden could only embrace her, sobbing, wiping her eyes with piteousness. But I will not begrudge aught of the sacrifice, she continued. There is nothing, I think, sweeter than to deny oneself all things for love. What are our lessons for but to teach us that? Shall I not do unto him as it would be well for me that some such girl should do for my sake, if I were such as he? Oh, Marion, you have got the better part. And yet, and yet, I would that he should feel a little because he cannot have the toy that has pleased his eye. What was it that he saw in me, do you think? As she asked the question, she cheered up wonderfully. The beauty of your brow and eyes, the softness of your woman's voice. Nay, but I think it was my Quaker dress. His eye perhaps likes things all of a color. I had, too, new gloves and a new frock when he saw me. How well I remember his coming! How he would glance round at me till I hardly knew whether I was glad that he should observe me so much, or offended at his persistence. I think that I was glad, though I told myself that he should not have glanced at me so often. And then, when he asked us to go down to his house, I did long, I did long, to win father's consent to the journey, had he not gone. Do not think of it, Marion. That I will not promise, but I will not talk of it. Now, dear Mrs. Roden, let all then be as though it had never been. I do not mean to mope or to neglect my work, because a young lord has crossed my path and told me that he loves me. I must send him from me, 
and then I will be just as I have always been. Having made this promise, she went away, leaving Mrs. Roden much more flurried by the interview than was she herself. When the Friday came, holiday as it was, the Quaker took himself off to the city after dinner, without another word as to his daughter's lover. End of section 25 Recording by Arnold Banner, Thurmond, North Carolina